0: As already mentioned, the sermon this afternoon is on the doctrine of the word of God concerning his providence. And we find what the church confesses concerning these things in both Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism and Belgic Confession, Article 13. The sermon actually follows the structure of the Belgic Confession article more closely, but these truths are indeed also contained in Lord's Day 10, so we'll read both of those So first, Lord's Day 10, on page 525 of the Book of Praise. Question and answer 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. We'll now read together Belgic Confession, Article 13. This is on page 503. We believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without his direction. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, We adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, and we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us inexpressible (laughs) consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance But only by the direction of our gracious heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. In this we trust because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. We therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not concern himself with anything, but leaves all things to chance. after the sermon we will respond to the proclamation of the gospel with hymn sixty four beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon we learn about the providence of God this is God's watchful care over his creation we learn how all the things that we experience in this life are not left up to chance or randomness or some other mechanism but we learn that all things are governed by god's perfect will and what's more than that the god who watches over these things is not some impersonal force who doesn't care one way or the other about the things on this earth. No, this God is our Heavenly Father. He cares very much about everything that happens on this earth. He cares very much for everything that He has made. And He has a very special concern for those of us who are His children. And it's for this reason that when we learn about God's providence we are able to be comforted and we can be encouraged in every situation in which we find ourselves this afternoon we learn about the providence of God in this way we have unspeakable comfort in this life because God's providence is three things God's providence is first good his providence secondly is over everything And thirdly, God's providence is for our benefit. So first, God's providence is good. Now, it's very important that we take note how this article in the Belgic Confession begins. It begins like this. We believe that this good God... So in teaching about the providence of God, we are first prompted to consider... Who is the God of providence? Who is this God? What is he like? It wouldn't be comforting at all to think that there was a God who was in control of all these things that we see, but that this God was full of hate or malice or evil, right? That would be a pretty anxious existence for us. And this is how many pagan cultures thought about the gods that they worshipped they believed that there were gods who controlled all of the events that happened on this earth but you know you could never be sure that these gods wouldn't just hurt you out of spite or you might even be harmed because the god that you worshipped was in a fight with another god that somebody else worshipped and You know you might just get caught in the crossfire your God might be evil or your God might simply be not strong enough to help you if you think of something like the Trojan War and how that was recorded in in history it was conceived of as a fight between a couple of gods or goddesses and these two nations got caught in the middle this is a ten-year long war and the reason for that war is one god was in a squabble with another god. Now, we confess something very different from that. We confess this good god. We're given a list of attributes of god in the very first article in the Belgic Confession that teach us the character of god. Our god is eternal. Our god is incomprehensible he's invisible, immutable, infinite almighty then we see that he is perfectly wise he's just he's good he's the overflowing fountain of all good it's a good thing that this God is in control he's wise he's just and he's good And yet you'll find that there are a lot of challenges to that truth. Is God really good? Our belief that God's providence is good rests on the truth that God himself is good. And you will be challenged on this. When people experience trouble in this life, and and everybody does experience trouble, when someone is... Afflicted with a particular disease that is just debilitating when it changes their lives and the lives of their loved ones. If every day of their life is spent in, in misery. If life was good and suddenly out of nowhere your perfect innocent little child is killed in a tragedy. Or when the world witnesses an act of God like an earthquake or a tsunami, something that something that just snuffs thousands of lives out in a matter of minutes or seconds. People ask where's God? Where's God in all of this? Why would God let these things happen to me? Or or worse yet, why would God do such a thing to me or to so many people? What kind of God is that? people conclude that if these things happen then he he must not exist or he's cruel he's got to be one of the two there was a greek philosopher that was mentioned in article 13 his name was epicurus and epicurus claimed that since there is evil and pain and suffering in this world and we all know that this is true since these things exist god cannot be both all-powerful and all-loving. We see that evil exists, so we have to conclude that God is either unable to take these things away or he's unwilling to take these things away. God is either weak or God is cruel, or he's both weak and cruel. If that's the case well then why do we call him god why do we consider him somebody that is to be worshiped how do you answer that question well we will see that our god as we confessed just a moment ago god is almighty he's perfectly wise and he's just and he's good He's the overflowing fountain of all good, even in the midst of pain and suffering. We understand by God's own word that evil and suffering came into this world because of sin, that our parents, Adam and Eve, freely sinned. They decided this, and they brought sin and the curse of sin into this world. And people argue, yeah, well, God could have prevented it. Why didn't he prevent it? Yes, God could have made Adam and Eve unable to sin, but that would have stripped them of the quality that they were created with. In their perfect state, they were created with the ability, the freedom to choose either to love God and continue to serve him perfectly or to rebel and to throw it all away. Now, God did not think it good to violate that freedom with which he created our parents. If he would have, well, then we would not be man and woman created in the image of God. We would have been some other creation. We would be little more than puppets if that ability to choose was taken away. It was good to God that he maintained their ability to choose even when the result of that choice was the fall into sin. And of course, with the fall, that free will is now corrupted. By nature, we are depraved. We can no longer choose to do the good by our own nature. But listen to this, listen to this. With the entrance of sin and evil into this world, also came the gospel of salvation immediately after the fall god proclaimed redemption why did all this happen well in the fall into sin god number one god demonstrates his his wisdom and his justice and his wrath even these are are reasons to to praise and glorify God. This is an awesome revelation of God, the way that he deals with sin in this way. But even more beautiful than that, he demonstrates his wisdom and his love and his mercy in the way that he forgives sin by sending his own son as a ransom. So yes, yes, there is evil and pain and suffering in this world. And God is willing and able to do away with these things. And this is the gospel, right? This is the gospel. God is doing away with it. It has already been defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning of the world, from the very beginning, God has been governing and preserving his creation for that purpose, God's providence Is indeed very good and now moving away from the argument concerning the presence of sin and suffering very simply this whole creation this whole universe testifies to the goodness of God's providence God is the one who counts the stars he he upholds them in their paths God has established the foundations of the mountains, he has rooted them to the ground. God waters the hills and the valleys with rain. God provides food for all creatures. God gives bread, food, and drink to mankind. God presides over the rising and the setting of the sun. God paints this earth with marvelous displays of, of beauty god's care over all things is perfect our good god our good god whom we know from his word he's the one who governs and he governs over absolutely everything and that's our second point god's providence is over everything it's comprehensive We read in Article 13 that nothing happens without his direction. Nothing. And we confess likewise in the Heidelberg Catechism, we confess our belief that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, riches and poverty, health and sickness, all things come from God's fatherly hand. All the things that impact us in this life things that we can perceive as good for us or bad for us. God teaches that they are for our good. We read this in Romans 8, verse 28. God works all things for the good of those who love him. But the question is, is that the extent of it? Does God only carefully govern the, the, the major things of this world, things that are perceptible to us, things that we can perceive and experience as either good or bad, things that have a direct impact on people. Could it be that maybe the rest is just simply the physical world operating according to its, to its laws, the laws that, that govern this world? Well, I think sometimes we might tend to think or at least act this way. We might think that there must be some things in this world that couldn't possibly be the concern of god things that are so unimportant so trivial god is concerned with really big important things right god is busy with with human things life and death kingdoms and nations galaxies, surely there must be stuff that just doesn't matter, right? For example, there was a discussion in a theological journal about whether God consciously and purposefully directs the number and arrangement of coffee grounds in any given scoop of coffee so if you're making coffee in the morning and you take a spoon and scoop out a a, a nice scoop of your favorite coffee and you you look at that scoop is it the case that every grind grind of coffee every speck of coffee dust is put into a strategic position by god for some for some purpose that that we don't know how far does God's providence go? Does God think about every single drop of water that exists in the universe? Does he control specifically which drop goes where? You know, one drop of water runs down one side of the mountain range and, and makes it all the way to the ocean. You know, one drop ends up in a cornfield and, and that raindrop is responsible for moistening one particular kernel of corn. One drop of water evaporates and has carried thousands of miles across the country and then falls as a raindrop and just ends up as a splat on your windshield that you wipe away with your windshield wipers. Does God actually determine all of those things with purpose? Does he carefully consider all of these things? They just don't seem important, do they? Does it does it matter? Does it affect anything? Well, yes, we confess that yes God does determine all of these things, but we can't we can't conceive of the purpose behind all of these things because our minds are so small they're too small to understand these things and this is where especially we have to respond in all humility we can't comprehend those things our great God directs every atom in this universe every particle of dust there is nothing That is outside of his care. God is infinite. And the things that are far beyond us are nothing to God. They're not beyond God. And the Belgic Confession specifically mentions something that is for us, for our comfort the hairs of our heads. I had to give one of my sons a haircut just last night. And I had to strap him in his, in his uh, baby seat because he likes to wiggle all over the place when he gets his haircut. You know, the clippers are, are loud and noisy, and, you know, little kids don't like getting haircuts anyway. And boy, hair gets everywhere. It gets in the sink it falls on the floor it gets stuck to your socks and tracked into all the different rooms in the house it would be impossible for us to keep track of every single one of those hairs right and remember where it came from on his head but guess what every single one of those tiny little hairs has a number has a number God cares about every single one of your hairs and he's not gonna let anything happen to any of those hairs unless he decides God cares that hair number 317 landed in the sink God cares that number 168 landed on the floor and then got tracked into the bedroom God cares that We forgot to cut number 33 and now it sticks up higher than the rest. God cares. These things are in his mind, even your hairs. What a God. What a God we have. Now here's here's the big one. This one can be tough for us. Even the decisions of people. Every decision is directed by God. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, we read that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even evil decisions. God directs even the evil decisions of people. That's a tough one. We might prefer to say something like you know god allows people or permits people or or demons or satan to do evil things we'll confess that god directs all things but when a person performs an evil deed or makes an evil decision you know how could god have anything to do with that god must somehow know take his hands off the wheel maybe he directs events maybe he directs things by corralling people controlling the environment and then just kind of letting evil people be evil he couldn't possibly be involved in or through their evil could he well congregation of God yes that's a tough one that is a very difficult question but the scriptures are very clear God has been very clear with us about this god somehow even acts on the wills the desires of people even evil men directing what they do and yet he is completely free of wrongdoing himself god is not the author of evil god says in job that he was responsible for the sabians attacking Job's servants and carrying off his property. He says to Satan, you incited me to act against my servant Job. God takes credit for that. God himself takes credit for Pharaoh's heart. He claims that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. We have to maintain this very strongly. God's providence is absolutely all-encompassing, even decisions and thoughts and yet God stays perfectly holy and free from any charge himself so what good is 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 knowing all of these things about how comprehensive God's providence is how is this a benefit for us well in everything he does in everything that God does in directing coffee grounds, in directing every drop of water, in directing the hairs of our heads, the good and evil thoughts of humankind, God is bringing about whatever he wills, and whatever he wills is always towards some good. We have an amazing example of this in Genesis chapter 50. At this point, Joseph is in Egypt, as the governor over all of Egypt, his brothers have arrived to buy food, and they have discovered who Joseph is, and they're terrified. They're terrified that Joseph is going to seek revenge on them because they they, thought of, they almost murdered him. They hated him. They sold him into slavery. Their father is dead, and now they think, well, now Joseph is going to get his revenge on us. And what does Joseph say? what does joseph say to his brothers he assures them yes you meant this for evil but god meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives god directs all things towards some good the ultimate example of this is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Think about this. God used the evil, murderous intentions of the people who crucified our Lord. God used those intentions and actions to secure our salvation. God directed the entire history of the world to come together at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that act that the whole idea of the providence of God can be a source of comfort for us why because he did all of these things he directed the entire history of the world for our sake and that's our third point God's providence is for our sake at the cross of Jesus Christ the meeting point of of all points in the history of the world something really special happened for us. Christ paid the ransom for us with his life, and he obtained something else for us. Lord's Day 9 clues us into this. The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is, for his sake, my God and Father. So because of the death that Christ died, because of the ransom that Christ paid, the Father of Christ is your Father. That's huge. Suddenly, because of the cross, you have a very special relationship with the God who controls every speck of dust in this universe. That's amazing. The same God who is so powerful and so wise as to be able to direct every drop of water to its goal, who can hold every star in the universe to its perfect course, the one who counts your hairs, that is your loving Father. He's your Father. He's your Father. And that's why even your hairs are so important to Him. You are his little child who needs him for for everything. And he gives it to you, what you need. He gives it to you better than any human father who has ever existed has ever been able to do. He does it perfectly. Perfectly. And God has proven this. God has demonstrated How much he cares for you God cared about you God valued you so much that he gave up his son he was willing to do that we read this every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us if God loved you enough to put his son through a death like that, while you were still legally his enemy, how much more will he, now that you're his child, give you the most perfectly, the most perfect fatherly and loving care? If God so masterfully, with such infinite wisdom and power, wove history toward such a brutal event for his son, his son whom he loved how could we ever doubt his care every moment of our lives every breath every thought every interaction that we have all of this is directing us toward our ultimate good the salvation of our souls and our eternal life with him that's what all of this is for Paul assures us of this in Romans 8 we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him if that's true if that's true how do we live our lives how do we deal with with the things that we're confronted with how do we view all of the events in our lives that that threaten us so badly that threaten our joy in jesus christ how do we react when we're suddenly faced with financial ruin how do we react when we get that diagnosis the one that that we're terrified of getting cancer how do we deal with with the loneliness that we experience how do you handle it when you've lost your husband or your wife you know 10 years ago and you've had to live alone ever since then how do you deal with depression how do you view failure in your career how do you handle it when one of your children has has walked away from the faith and and has not come back what do you do you do All of these things can threaten us, and we confess, we confess that we believe that all these things are perfectly in the hand of God, but that's not like a magic wand that that suddenly takes away the pain, right? I mean, these things hurt. These things hurt. They they weigh on us. They, they can plague us. They keep us up at night. We, we, we can't see a resolution for these things sometimes. And we wonder why. What's the sense of this? What possible good is coming from this? Why does my body have to fail? Why am I in pain? Why won't my child believe? I don't know why God is making me endure this. Paul teaches us that even though we know and confess that these trials are given by God and they're meant for our good, we also know that Satan tries to hijack them, to twist them, to turn us against God, to wrench us away from him. But Paul assures us who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ. neither angels nor demons the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord nothing can separate us we are preserved by god even in the midst of of the worst of these things And James teaches even further than that. James writes, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's read that last verse again. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, not only are you preserved against falling away because of these things. No, the opposite. God, God has given you these things for your maturity. God expects progression in your devotion in your holiness in your faith even in the twilight years of your life right up to the end God is busy with you God is shaping you he's shaping you into his new creation by his spirit and he's using these trials God your father has given you everything that's necessary for you it's not just that God has decided that some things might be of some use to you, probably. It's not that God has decided that, you know, maybe you can put up with it with a few things. It's not just that God allows things to happen to you. No, God cares about you way too much to just allow something to happen to you. Whatever your Father has given you is necessary for you. It's necessary for the maturity of your faith. It's necessary for preparing you for the existence that God has prepared for you. The same as he gives these things to us, the same as he gave to to Joseph. What kinds of things did he give to Joseph? A lot of the same things that we might experience. Joseph experienced real family hardship. Some of us here are not getting along with our family members. Some of us experience struggle in our family life. You have a bad relationship with your son, or your daughter, or your brother, your parents? Joseph's brothers genuinely hated him, do we understand how strong how strongly they hated him. They almost murdered him. They actually thought about murdering him. They, sold him. they sold him for a bag of money instead. Would you sell one of your family members for money? Joseph's mother, Rachel, died when he was just a boy. He didn't grow up with his, with his biological mother. Joseph ended up in prison after all of this, wrongfully convicted. Joseph was innocent, and there he sits in a dungeon. During the worst of what Joseph went through, did he imagine, did he know that he was going to end up as the ruler over all Egypt? We read this story in Genesis kind of thinking, yeah, well, it turns out pretty good for Joseph, doesn't it? Second in command in Egypt. Well, did he know this? We don't know. We don't know what Joseph knew. We don't know the highs and the lows of his trust in God, but we can imagine that he wondered, "Am I forgotten here in prison? Am I forgotten? Has God forsaken me? How long, O oh God?" And why? What if God gave you all the information about your life, your future life? What if you were able to understand why you got cancer, why your baby died while still in the womb, why you lost everything in that fire, whatever it is, why the bad thing happened? What if God showed you the roadmap that explained how getting cancer changed your course for you so that you would end up here where you were suddenly prepped to receive such great blessing would your attitude toward that hardship change probably right sometimes God allows us to learn those things sometimes decades later decades later we understand God's wisdom and his love and his care in doing something that was so unthinkable for us at the time so excruciating but more often it stays a mystery it stays a mystery we might learn those things only in glory and so god demands our trust and our love in every situation we know we know that he is directing our path toward the greatest possible good everything in our lives is steering us preparing us for our eternal life with him do you want proof do you need proof that God is doing these things for you you just look at your forehead God gave you proof When you were baptized, God, your father, promised that he adopted you as his child. And that as a loving father, he would either avert all evil from your life, he would get it away from you, or he would turn it toward your benefit. That's something God promised you when you were baptized. You have it tattooed on your head it's signed by god himself god's providence is perfectly good it's over everything it's for your eternal benefit and we can praise him and we can glorify for him for this lord's day three teaches us that this is the very purpose of our creation in the very first place we were created so that we might rightly know god live with him and love him why so that we can praise him and glorify him properly that is our eternal existence God has providentially seen to it that that future is secured for you Ephesians 1 11 and 12 in Christ we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Why? In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. When this world passes away, when we are glorified and perfected, our life is going to consist of glorifying and enjoying God to the fullest forever and ever. This is why God has done such wonderful things throughout all ages. This is why your heavenly Father so perfectly and carefully directs your life instant by instant. Health, sickness, relationships, all of it, in order to bring you into his glory, to reveal his glory to you forever and ever. This This is why we can be contentedly humble in our limited understanding, the things we don't know, because we trust our Father. This is why we can be patient in our troubles, or even more than that. This is why we can rejoice in our trials. Why? Because God is preparing us to experience His glory. This is our glorious destination, and we just taste it right now but we have a firm and a sure hope for this where is all this going what is it all for it's for our benefit and it's to the praise of his glory amen